1: Listener supported, WNYC Studios.
2: Uh, wait, you're listening. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. All right. <clears throat> you're listening, listening. to
0: Radio Lab. Lab.
2: Radio Lab from WNYC. See? Yeah. Okay. Lot well, of this is our first time doing the thing together. Yeah. Wow. In the spirit of turning over the old and bringing on the new, hey, I'm Jed Abumrad. I'm Latif Nasser. This is Radio Lab.
3: And uh, before we get started today, just a quick warning. This episode contains some strong language and fact-based discussions of a certain bearded man in a red suit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Who could it be? <laughs> Anyhow, this is our final episode of the year, which uh, we should just get out ahead of and say, this year has been awful yeah just it really sucked it sucked
3: hard not gonna rehash it all obviously but uh and I hate to use this phrase, but these are unprecedented times. Several new unwanted records. Like every day.
4: Crossing the 9 million mark. We're
3: seeing new COVID numbers. 10
0: million To 11 total. million.
3: Total cases.
5: 100,000 people are in
3: the hospital. Hospitalizations. A
0: staggering milestone. Deaths. 300,000 confirmed coronavirus-related deaths in less than a year.
2: It's terrible. So eventually we were just like, you know what, 2020... Fuck you. Oh take the hole with bows of We're gonna do a ba- goddamn la- Christmas la- special. We're gonna have fun, whether
3: we like <laughs> it or not. We're gonna have some fun. <laughs> really so today, to put a cap on this godforsaken year, we have two different stories related to the pandemic,
2: both Christmas themed stories. And we're gonna start with uh with me. You with you. I I just wanna I just wanna know is it irony? I'm not sure if it's irony that Currently, we have two different people talking about two different aspects of Christmas, and they're both Muslim and don't celebrate Christmas. I love it. (laughs) I love it. I was not only talking
3: about, not (laughs) only talking about, I was last night, it was midnight, I was texting Santa. Um, I'm I'm deep in this story. I'm deep. (laughs) Okay, so I know we're talking about Santa, but that's really all I know. Okay, well, I think the important place to start is... Uh, Of course, as always, with Dr. Fauci.
0: Dr. Anthony Fauci reassuring kids around the world, Santa is going to be okay.
3: Who said to a couple of USA Today reporters that Santa Claus is exempt from COVID-19. Because
1: Santa, among all the good qualities, has a lot of good innate immunity. So Santa's not going to be spreading any infections to anybody.
3: He was just trying to get kids not to worry about Santa Claus, say that he's going to be fine. So here's the thing. Santa is not immune to COVID-19. In fact, it's the opposite. He can get it and he's very vulnerable. And uh, frankly, he's worried about it. And that's what I was texting about with him last night. Like he's worried he's going to get it. He's worried he might be he might spread it to somebody else. Wow. So let me first say I, I learned about this story about Santa and COVID from another journalist named Julie.
5: Uh, I'm Julie Wernow. I'm a reporter at the Wall Street Journal.
3: What? How did this even happen? What do you actually usually s- normally cover? I'm guessing not Christmas-related
5: things. Um, no, I mean, that's my whole beat, right? I just cover Santa Claus and <laughs> mall Santas. No, um, I actually write about the restaurant industry, and I was working on a story about winter coming. And the fact that people, you know, are going to have to figure out how to sit outside in winter. And as a lot of people have seen now, there's igloos and all sorts of things and heat lamps. And I thought to myself, what else happens in winter? Christmas, what are the Santas doing? And, and you know, just this is what it is to be a reporter, right? You have like a germ of an idea and then you just go down a rabbit hole and you get paid to do that. So,
3: um, And that rabbit hole... Eventually led her.
1: Oh, we're skipping that. I'm sorry. Um, to this, our next uh, speaker is. Uh,
3: Back in August, Santa actually gave a speech to the CDC.
1: <laughs> Mr. Irwin,
6: thank you. Not since the depths of the Great Depression or the darkest hours of World War II have so many sane and sober adults wondered aloud whether America may be facing a year without Christmas.
3: This is Santa Rick Irwin. He's the leader of a group of over 500 Santas called the Fraternal Order of Real Bearded Santas.
5: Which is exactly what you expect it to be. It's it's men who look like Santa Claus and have real beards.
3: It's a nonprofit trade group of, you know, Santa performers with real beards, uh, as opposed to the Santa performers with uh, that are, uh, as they say, uh, theatrically bearded, or faux bearded, or designer bearded. So Santa Rick basically gets this slot to talk uh, via Zoom to this to to a group at the CDC called ACIP. They're the people who basically decide who gets the vaccine first.
6: This year, Christmas will be more important to the American psyche than ever before. Our country is enduring an historic disaster trifecta, and nearly all Americans endure unparalleled suffering but promising vaccines are in phase three testing already and remaining social restrictions may be easing by Christmas. We're asking that professional Santas and other frontline seasonal workers be granted early access to the COVID-19 vaccine as soon as practicable after tier one release.
3: It almost feels like it's out of a Disney movie. Like it's like CDC, we need to save Christmas. Um, and and to do that, Santas need to be bumped up in line for the vaccine.
6: Americans are going to want Santa to be at Christmas 2020. I await your questions or
1: comments. Thank you. On behalf of the voting members of the ACIP Santas in America, we want to thank you for, for your comments uh, and really enjoyed uh, hearing from you. Thank you again.
5: Thank you.
3: And the response... And
5: I really
1: did believe in you all my life.
3: ...is kind of like a, like a pleasant chuckle.
5: And that was kind of where he left it.
3: But the next day... He got a call. This is Santa Rick Irwin. From a... Fairly high-ranking official in the Trump administration.
0: Michael Caputo, assistant secretary for public affairs at the Department of Health and
3: Human Services. Well, hello to both of you, and just for the record, you're both on the nice list this year. Not nobody. Oh, that's
5: great. <laughs> 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 Saying we want to, we want to work with you. From my perspective, if, uh, if,
6: if, if if you and your colleagues are not essential workers, I don't know what is. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> so here's what I've been We're going to be doing a lot of
5: regional events.
3: And when when Santa Rick like laid out the the deal, can you kind of like lay it out as he told it to you?
5: Yeah, I mean, he. He basically said that they knew that the vaccines were coming. They're talking about having Santa Clauses stationed in sites all over the country. And that they're going to help get the word out and get people the vaccine. And in exchange, they'll have early access to the vaccine.
6: You go to your colleagues who are in the different cities where we're having events and have them come. And when the vaccine is available, get vaccinated first. You set up a station in Southern California, and I'll put 50 Santas in full costume in front of the cameras, and you let me know what other cities you're operating in, and I'll send Santas there.
5: All right. I'm in Santa if you're in. I'm in. I'm 100% in. And he was, you know, you can hear in his voice, how excited he is i
6: live to serve your holiness thank you very much
5: this is a big deal like he's gotten through to the most powerful administration in the country
3: yeah now on the call rick is super enthusiastic but then when i talk to him later about it when
5: he
6: specifically uh you invoked the phrase operation warp speed he
3: told me uh, he was actually just being nice on the phone to kind of cover up for deep down these, these misgivings that he had. Um, he, he said he felt like he was kind of like almost like ice skating on a knife's edge because, because he's just not a Trump guy.
6: This is the greatest mass casualty event since World War II, and it's responsible to one team of individuals the clown car in the in the white house but there was a conditional that i would dance with the devil by the pale moonlight if it would save a single santa or a
3: single american citizen so it's kind of a it's kind of a hard position that he's in but uh but he says yes and then he gets a second phone call yes how are you mr secretary very good how, are you, doing? Right. how are you doing i'm fine i'm fine this time, you know, it's a few days later. He now he's even more enthusiastic. They're talking about
6: specifics. Well, how about one Santa at each in- inoculation? You
3: know how many Santas? Uh Caputo is like, I cannot wait to tell the president he's gonna love
1: this. he' gonna <laughs>
3: <laughs> all right, my friend. Um, um, we can't do so Christmas. things are, are getting really real. He
5: took to his Facebook page and informed all the other Santa Clauses that they had gotten a deal. You know, they would be getting early access vaccines.
3: Like, this is actually happening. He's thinking, we're going to save Christmas.
2: No, 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 no. Shut the music down. This feels like a conspiracy. <laughs> And 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 how is Santa? How is Santa an essential worker? That doesn't make sense to me at all, and it's very not Christmassy in spirit. <laughs>
5: <laughs> at first glance, right? I mean, it's ridiculous.
2: Julie, we're now from the Wall Street Journal again.
5: Santa Claus is a, a make-believe character <laughs> that lives in the North Pole. But I actually thought that Santa Rick's. Arguments made a lot of sense.
3: Julie was like, okay, let's take their argument seriously for a second. For one thing, she says... The
5: Santa Clauses and Mrs. Clauses are, by and large, in this vulnerable population. A
3: lot of these Santas are old, overweight. Lots of them have diabetes, heart conditions.
5: And I think that the argument that the Santas were trying to make is, look, we're really important, especially this year for people's happiness, that we are essential and we have really direct contact with the public. And so is it really that ridiculous to think that the Santa Clauses of America are essential? I, I kinda think it is kind of ridiculous. Well,
3: to sort that out, let's ask, like like technically, what is an essential worker?
4: Well, that word is tricky all by itself. Who among us wants to feel they're not essential?
3: So we called up this woman named Kelly Moore.
4: Associate Director for Immunization Education at the Immunization Action Coalition.
3: She used to serve on that C D C board that decides who gets the vaccines first. And she basically was like, Look, the essence of it is who
4: must be exposed to the public or to others in order to do their jobs. And their jobs involve the life, health, or safety of our other fellow citizens.
3: So firefighters, police officers, teachers, you know, the people you would expect. But that definition also includes all of these sort of edge cases, like a server to fancy restaurant, Hmm. or I saw a quote, um from a carpenter in the New York Times who was deemed essential, uh, who said, quote, I'm essential to the pocketbooks of rich contractors and essential for spreading the virus, but that's about it. Hmm. Or uh, there was a case, uh, a Baskin Robbins employee who was dressed up like like as the mascot, like dressed up like an ice cream cone. Um, And the person was taking a selfie in the mirror and was like, why am I an essential worker? Like, it's it's a fuzzy line.
4: So we like having, actually, these broader categories. If you try to get just the right person vaccinated with each precious dose, you'll end up vaccinating people so slowly that many people will die needlessly waiting for you to figure out who the perfect recipient is.
3: So the essential worker box is big. And if the ice cream cone guy is in there,
2: why not Santa? Wait a second, wait a second. So Baskin-Robbins, is ba- the Baskin-Robbins ice cream scooper is an essential worker? Depends on the state, but yeah, potentially, yes. But assen- when you call someone an essential worker, you mean they are essential to society, right? Or to the, to a neighborhood. Well, actually, Kelly says not necessarily.
4: Part of this is also about people who don't have choices about exposing themselves to others in the way they make their living. Um, That Baskin-Robbins worker may not feel essential, but if Baskin-Robbins says she needs to be at work and she has to face a line of customers every day, she could be exposed to the virus. She could also have the virus and expose people in the workplace.
2: Oh, that's interesting. So it's essential in both directions. Like I am essential to people and me seeing people is essential to me. And so therefore I am an essential worker.
3: Right. And according to Julie from The Wall Street Journal, that's what a lot of Santas are
5: looking at this year. There are places all over the country that have deemed Christmas to still be essential. Um, They want the Santas to be working. They want them out at the malls. They want them at the holiday parades. They want them at private events. They want them to be out talking to Kids and parents and who knows what.
3: Some of these Santas, that is their livelihood. They need these parties that only come once a year. And if they miss it, they're going to be in trouble for, you know, the next 12 months. And for some of these Santas. Had
1: a little bit of a gig earlier tonight. And, uh,
3: or for one of them I talked to anyway. Just
1: vegging out now. <laughs> um,
3: all right, all right. That sense of need goes even deeper.
1: It's a calling. We are called to it. It's but it's it's one of the. Most heartwarming and also heartbreaking things you could ever do.
3: This is a longtime Santa. This is my
1: 38th year.
3: Named Santa Robert. Uh, he told me that a lot of the work he does is pro bono. The
1: Ronald McDonald House, there's a charity. We go to uh, assisted living homes, churches. But this
3: is also his job.
1: Yes, and it, it pays quite well. <laughs> uh, so, just- so is this... You can make bank as a Santa.
3: And Santa Robert told me, even though business is down this year...
1: Some families want nothing to do with it because of COVID. He's still getting a lot of gigs. A lot of them are outdoors. They want to do it in the daytime. Instead of the nighttime party, they're doing it in the daytime. They're doing it outdoors. Yeah. But I mean, I'm still able to do it. I'm still able to be Santa. But it's kind of hard because when the mask I wear is a red mask and it covers most of the face. Uh, a lot of people will ask if I could take pictures without the mask. They're not posting pictures on social media, which is fine with me because we could all get into trouble, theoretically.
3: Oh, like, like they're coming up to you and they're saying, can I take a picture without a mask? And what do you say to that?
1: I usually say, yeah, if they want to get one without a mask, I try to be as accommodating to people as I can.
3: Okay. And they like, are I mean, also this... without a mask or just you're without a mask?
1: Yeah, they, they take off the mask as well.
3: Oh, wow. Does does that feel scary? Does that feel dangerous? No. Okay.
1: I know, I know this is, and yes, I understand this is a virus. The virus is out there.
3: I should add, uh, a few days ago at a Christmas parade in Georgia, a Santa potentially exposed dozens of kids to COVID. Um, it, it, Santa Robert hard. is not the only one who's doing this.
1: It, it, it's kind of hard to put it into words. Uh, this is Christmas, you know? Yeah. And everybody wants it to be normal. Everybody's been devastated by what's been going on all year long with the lockdowns, with work, with school, people are losing their jobs or maybe having cutback hours and they got to wear a mask eight hours a day. Uh, everybody wants a normal Christmas. I just I bring in that sense of normalcy of hey it's all right let's do what we always do we're gonna have a party Santa's gonna be here it's just gonna be like old times and they can kind of relax they can kind of get back into it they can forget their troubles for a half hour or whatever and that's I think very comforting to a lot of people.
3: It's but it's it's like it's a funny thing to argue for like and I get the. I get the craving for it. And yet at the same time, like these are extremely abnormal times like and 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 kind of dangerous and scary times where like like right now. And I'm just saying L.A. because I know we both live not so far from like in L.A. Like I just saw an article this morning that said literally one person is dying in L.A every hour in L.A. County, every 20 minutes of COVID. What is the thing that feels so, I don't know, that for you it like makes you say, okay, this is the scary thing that is out there, um, but I'm I'm still going to do this anyway?
1: I think, well, part of it is that I need that sense of normalcy too. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of things in life that have happened to people and yeah, sometimes you can take as many precautions as you can, something bad may still happen to you.
3: But like but this is so clearly dangerous. Like I, I well, don't know I survived
1: know... a workplace shooting so
3: <laughs> Oh, cuz you worked at the post office?
1: Yes, the last big shooting they had there, the Galita postal shooting.
3: Oh my god.
1: And yeah, that that kind of probably has something to do with my kinda of somewhat cavalier attitude, I guess you could say, because having to deal with having six year co-workers getting their brains blown out no, by another God. former coworker who went off the rails. And yes, I knew her. And oh my God. The world doesn't stop. The world ain't gonna stop because this is happening. It's still gonna go on.
3: Huh. What if there was
1: like a the governor like expressly forbade it
3: would you keep going out and and trying to and and chanting
1: Yeah. Yes, I would. My take is a lot of people who are going to follow these rules are going to regret it.
3: But what about and- the flip if these parties god forbid happen to become one of these super spreader events like like, what would happen? That wouldn't just affect the people at the party. That would affect so many more people. That would ripple way f- further out. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I don't know. You know, you're making me think a lot, and you're making me think maybe I am nuts. <laughs> no, I. It, it's, but, uh, like, like it, it, This is this is uh, this is. Uh, people need Santa. That's the only way I can I can think to put it is people need Santa, and I guess I need to be Santa, and. It's not going to stop with
2: this. Damn. That is a that is a committed and I got to say kind of scary Santa.
3: Yeah, and uh, now I should say that I talked to multiple Santas for this story, and most of them are doing Santing online. Okay, you know, over Zoom, and there are all kinds of new websites like Ringle Jingle or whatever. There's a, a lot of innovating, um, but there's also a lot of traditional Santas like Robert who are still doing what they do uh, in person. And I, I don't know. I th- like I, I think maybe we should we should vaccinate them. What?
2: No, they can't they can't bad behave themselves into being categorized as essential. No, give some of those doses to the nurses, mm-hmm. the teachers. Those are the people who should be getting vaccinated, not the Santas who shouldn't even be out anyways. Yeah, I mean I I hear you. I hear you. But but those
3: Santas are still going out anyway.
2: Hmm. Hey, whatever happened to the uh whole Santa backroom deal with the Trump administration, anyways.
3: Well, okay, so Santa Rick had these calls with Michael Caputo, the assistant secretary from HHS. Everything looked like it was falling into place. And then all of a sudden, nothing.
5: The Trump administration stopped responding.
3: Julie Wernow from The Wall Street Journal again.
5: They've ghosted the Santas.
3: What soon becomes clear... The embattled head of communications for the agency... Is that uh, that guy, Assistant Secretary Caputo at HHS, went on Facebook Live and just went on a rant.
2: The partisan Democrats... The conjugal media and the scientists, the deep state scientists, want America sick through November.
3: He predicted a violent conclusion of the
2: presidential election. But if you carry guns, buy ammunition, ladies and gentlemen, because it's going to be
1: hard to get. And civil war. This is war.
3: It later came out that he had just gotten diagnosed with cancer, so it's unclear exactly what was happening with him, but they put him on medical leave.
5: So. Ultimately, it was left to us to find out what happened. You know, the Santas thought they had a deal. Do they still have a deal? And then, you know, the word back from the government was, no, they don't. And um, that was how Santa learned that there weren't going to be any vaccines for Christmas this year.
3: The real person Santa, that is. But...
5: Elmo is back for something else that I think is on a lot of kids' minds.
3: In a weird twist that is keeping with our 2020 world, where often fantasy feels more powerful than facts.
5: Elmo's friend has a question about Santa Claus.
3: Santa Santa. Well... The imaginary Santa.
1: So what I did a little while ago, I took a trip up there to the North Pole.
3: According to Anthony Fauci.
1: I went there and I vaccinated Santa Claus myself.
3: That Santa, he got the vaccine.
1: He is good to go.
5: Santa. Hello, Santa, everything I say is true.
1: When you come on Christmas Eve, the milk and cookies are for you.
3: We will be back with another COVID Christmas story after the break.
4: Hi, this is Emily, and I'm calling from Toronto, Canada. Radiolab is supported in part by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science and technology in the modern world. More information about Sloan at www.sloan.org. Thanks.
2: Science reporting on Radiolab is supported in part by Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science.
0: Radio Lab is supported by Babbel. Sometimes self-improvement can feel like a pretty overwhelming journey. So what if this year you just got a tiny bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. Babbel is a science-backed language learning app with quick 10-minute lessons that have been handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. You can learn everything you need to have real-world conversations. Café s'il vous plaît, from vocabulary words to culture and more. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just 3 weeks, imagine what you could do in a few months or a full year. Here is a special limited-time deal for Radiolab listeners. Right now get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com/radiolab. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com/radiolab, spelled b a b b e l dot com slash Radiolab. Rules and restrictions may apply. Radiolab is supported by Z-Biotics. If you've been looking for some help waking up refreshed after a fun night out, Z-Biotics pre-alcohol probiotic is here to help. Z-Biotics is a genetically engineered probiotic invented by scientists to help tackle rough mornings after drinking. This probiotic is the first drink of the night for a better tomorrow. As it works to break down the byproduct of alcohol which is responsible for rough mornings after. Go to zbiotics.com/radiolab to get 15% off your first order when you use radiolab at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money no questions asked. That's zbiotics.com/radiolab and use the code radiolab at checkout for 15% off. Each election season, political memoirs abound, doorstops that sometimes divulge more than intended.
3: No matter how diligently they present themselves in the most electable light, they always reveal themselves, their insecurities, their fears, their ambitions.
0: How to read a politico on this week's On the Media from WNYC. Find On the Media
5: wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Jad Latif, Radio Lab. back with part two of our COVID Christmas show. And for this part, we're bringing in... Hello,
7: hello.
2: Hey, Sarakari, producer Sarakari.
7: How's it going?
2: It's going well. How are you?
7: As you'll hear in a second, my brain is like utterly spinning with numbers. Um,
2: so just to set things up, back in April, as we sort of switched to doing all these dispatches, Sara did a story about the six feet rule explaining the science behind this new number that had suddenly taken over all of our lives and created these bubbles that we were living inside of. But since then, scientists have learned so much more about this virus and all of these other numbers have started to emerge.
7: Yeah. It's like we were literally looking at one dimension of it. And and since then, like our understanding of the disease and managing the pandemic has like exploded in all of these different directions.
2: So we asked Zara for an update.
7: Yep. But okay, we're going to do it like Christmas style. Um, so not the 12 days of Christmas, but the 12 numbers of covid <laughs> Okay, And you know what? I'm not sure we're going to make it to 12, but uh, it's a global pandemic, Dad. Uh, Just (laughs) roll with it, okay?
2: All right. Hit me.
7: Okay. So, maybe the place to start is three to six air changes per hour for ventilation.
2: Three to six air changes per hour for Mm -hmm. ventilation. Okay. Mm -hmm. What does
7: that mean? Basically, that means how often in an hour does most, so more than 50% of the air in a space completely change out for fresh air.
2: Oh, like if the air is a circulatory system, it needs to completely sort of filter in and filter Mm -hmm. around and out three to six times every hour? Yes, exactly. I'm suddenly looking around my house and thinking, how often does the air in this house change?
7: Yeah, like most homes, the number of air changes per hour that that are currently happening, is less than one. Huh. Yeah, which I did not realize and made me feel very gross all of a sudden.
2: So do you just have to, like, open a window? Yeah, basically. Uh, Well, what happens if, uh, well, let's say I'm in my house in Brooklyn and I open a window. Just about six inches, like crack at six inches. Mm -hmm. How long would it take for the wind coming in through this six-inch gap to completely turn over the air in my apartment?
7: Well, so this one study of average houses from 2011, this scientist named Shelley Miller told me about this, showed that opening even just one window, those six inches, would make air changes happen about 30% faster. So, you know, going from like one and a half hour to one hour. And the more windows you open and the wider you open them, the better.
2: Interesting.
7: This is kind of interesting. Let's see. What else do I need to say on this? Um, oh, so so to give you some context, like I found out that on the New York City subway, there's 18 air changes per hour, which is pretty Whoa. good. That's um, cool. Planes have like 20 air changes, which is kind of crazy.
2: Wow. Um, That's really inter- This is really interesting. I find this air okay. change thing interesting. Mm-hmm. You know what you need, Sarakari? What? You need to get some carolers for this. <laughs> <laughs>
8: You're so right.
2: Great. On the first day of Christmas,
8: COVID gave to me three to six air changes per hour for ventilation.
7: <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Alright, so that's day one. Okay, day two.
6: Okay, and
2: the second day of COVID to <laughs> me. COVID gave to me. Now you're, you you do the number. So it, it,
7: it gave to Uh, uh CO two levels of six hundred <laughs> to eight
8: hundred parts per million. Parts per million. <laughs>
2: <laughs> perfect. Okay, cool, cool. So what does that mean?
8: So I called up Lindsay Marr, professor of civil and environmental engineering at Virginia Tech. She was in our Six Feet episode, mm. and she told me that when it comes to this ventilation, air recycling stuff... Yeah, it's almost impossible for the average person to know what the ventilation rate is.
7: Like, you can't just look at the air and say, oh,
8: it's new air. So that's why we've also talked about... The carbon dioxide level. Because we're all breathing out
7: carbon dioxide. And so if there's a ton of carbon dioxide in the air, then you can tell that, okay, ventilation is probably not very good because all this air that we're exhaling is not leaving. Um, right. And Lindsay told me that the reason this number might
8: be better is because... Because you can take a sensor with you and these cost maybe 100 to $200. And then you're looking for a target Number that indicates that the ventilation is poor.
7: And I was like, I am outside. It is a windy day in hmm. Okay, how do I do this? Maybe I should
8: get one of these. Do you have one of these sensors? Yes, I have one, and I've been carrying it around with me.
7: Trusty carbon dioxide detector.
8: What should I be looking for? I think if you see a number of 600 parts per million or lower, that's great.
2: Does that mean 600 parts of CO2 per million parts of? Uh, everything?
8: Yes. So outdoors is um, going to be 400 parts per million.
7: 480? Yeah, that's about have, right.
8: Have you gone a lot of places with it? Yeah, I've taken it to the gym.
7: Try walking into Planet Fitness. That's 635 parts per million.
8: I've taken it in our car. Oh, <laughs> it is
7: going up. Okay, 970, 980, 99. We
8: got up to maybe a 1,000 parts per million.
7: Oh, holy smokes.
8: But if we open the windows. the windows.
7: Um, and sure enough, it's gone down.
8: We're back. I haven't like, spent time in any restaurant, so I haven't looked there.
7: Outdoor dining's not happening in New York right now, so we're going to go inside a bodega. Nice. and Hovering by the pasta sauce. Around 615 parts per million? Not bad, local bodega.
2: See, this is the problem with our new pandemic reality. It's just so many more things to measure.
7: I know. It's like both empowering in a way if you choose to be empowered, but it's also incredibly
2: crazy making. Like I bought a pulse oximeter and I get that thing on my thumb for like <laughs> ev- every six like every couple hours for the last six months. Well,
7: if you want, you could just buy an air purifier. That is one thing that multiple scientists that I talked to recommended. They're like just buy an air purifier.
2: Wow. Um, That's interesting. I've always thought those things are a little bit like Gimmicky, kind of.
7: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Apparently, they really help.
2: Huh. Are we in- on to the next? Uh, um, Indeed. On
7: the third day Indeed, we are. Day of Christmas? So we, wait, this one okay. actually. Uh, hold na, on. Na, we... na, na, oh, okay, okay, na, yeah. Na, 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 so, na, na, on the third day of Christmas, COVID gave to me
6: three layers of
7: mass. Wait, do you already know that one? Yeah. Okay, so continue the gallop. Okay.
2: Um, On the next day, of my true love gave to me. COVID, COVID gave to me. Gave oh, to right, sorry.
7: Me. Okay, you know what? I'm not even going to front. This one just fell apart in fact checking. <laughs> okay. So we're just going to move right along to the next one. Okay, day five. This one, uh, oh, this one is kind of hard to do. On the fifth
4: day I'm just going to let Christmas the carolers do it. COVID gave to me. Maybe try whispering or just not speaking so often. <laughs>
7: Okay, another factor in all of this in protecting yourself, it turns out, is volume. Like, how loudly are you talking? Can affect the number of aerosols that come out of your mouth. Huh. So this comes from a 2019 study, um, and in order to tell you about it, I'm gonna take out my little decibel meter app. So I'm about one meter away. Okay, perfect. Got the tape measure. Okay. So let's say. I am whispering. Okay, can you hear me? Yes, you can hear me. Okay, okay. So right now, I'm whispering at like
2: 45 decibels. This right here is just 45 decibels? 45 decibels, yes. It feels in my heart like it's a 10, but wow, 45, okay. Yeah, but 45 it is. So right now,
7: Okay. But then, okay, I started at 45, and now I'm going to go up to, I'm like an average 50 right
2: now. So this right here is 50?
7: Yeah, or like 50, actually 51, let's say. So there's a six decibel difference. Okay, 50, 45 to 51. And suddenly, the number of aerosols that are flying out of my mouth are twice as many in number than they were just Six decibels ago.
2: Really? So if you just go from a whisper to barely a whisper, you're doubling the amount of aerosols?
7: Yeah. Dang. And let's say I go up another six decibels, 57, yeah, 57, which is right around here, I think. Then I'm again doubling.
2: Oh my God. So every six decibels of loudness doubles the amount of aerosolized particles?
7: Yeah. And then let's say I keep going. And I go all the way up to eighty, which is like me shouting at you. I don't know how to <laughs> shout neutral in a neutral voice, <laughs> but I'm shouting. <laughs> um, as as we've gone up every six decibels, we've doubled. And by the time you get to eighty, I'm expelling fifty times more aerosols and droplets than I would be if I was whispering. Isn't that crazy?
2: That's crazy. I'm a little scared. (laughs) You've never yelled at me before.
7: I know. I'm so sorry.
2: (laughs) That's wild. Wow. Isn't it? The the lesson here, I guess, is we just need to, all of us need to turn it down. We just need to whisper.
7: Yes. Uh, Yes, exactly. So, okay, so the, the scientist William Riston part that I was talking to about this, um, he said it's not just volume, though. Like, it's also how much you're talking. You know, obviously, if you talk more, then you're putting out more aerosols into the air. And so wow. it's not just like speak more quietly, but also like just less. Just do less. Talk
2: less. Yeah, talk just, quiet. Just, talk just less. Be, talk less and do <laughs> but, less. And okay. have less things to say. So,
7: yeah. So one more time and then we'll do the last one. Okay, I have just a few more. Um, Just to sum up really quick, um, so far we've got three to six air changes per hour, 600 to 800 parts per million of CO2, three layers of masks. Then we had that number that was fake news, whispering, not talking, that's not really a number, but whatever, 50 times. Um, And number six is 40 to 60 percent.
4: Relative humidity. (laughs)
7: <laughs> okay. So, humidity turns out it's very important. So, one is that um is that drier air actually um actually I'm going to pause cuz there's a very loud ambulance.
2: Yeah, this is the um, Can you hear it? The soundtrack of the second wave. The
7: soundtrack of New York City in the second wave. Yeah, that's
2: right. Yeah.
7: So, okay, so the idea is, let's say you, I don't know, you're standing uh, a few feet away from your wife, and you open your mouth or one of your kids, and you open your mouth to say, good morning, right?
2: Good morning, children. (laughs)
7: Like, just to imagine for a second, like, let's slow that down. So you're like, you open your mouth, and you're like... <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Um,
7: and as soon as you open your mouth, there's all of these particles that are flying out of your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them are bigger droplets wet from your own saliva. Some of them are these light, you know airy little aerosols that kind of can just like float out like as if you were breathing out smoke mm. and what happens is when the air is dry there's no moisture in the air there's no water molecules to like slow these aerosols down so they're not running into any challenges they're just like floating out into like, the air Whee! out of your mouth you're like moo, you know <laughs> And another thing that happens is that the larger droplets that are like sort of flying out of your mouth, like catapulting almost and and sometimes sinking, because the air is so dry, the moisture in those droplets evaporates, and those droplets then suddenly transform into lighter aerosols that can also go farther.
2: I see. Interesting. So the little missiles coming out of my mouth are just going, zipping through the air,
7: basically. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But now imagine you're in a room.
2: Can you compare the more traditional way?
7: Let's say it's your kitchen. You're doing some cooking,
2: making some eggs. There's a
7: little bit of steam in the air, and the humidity is just at that sweet spot of 40 to 60%. And let's say you go up to your kids. They're like, Dad. Why are you talking to me? All these particles fly out of your mouth. Let's say you have COVID, which you know what COVID looks like—the ball with the spiky ball, spiky ball. Yeah. So that shoots out into the air, and slowly, like, or actually, very quickly, becomes like enveloped in like a thin coating of water from the air. So the humidity almost like surrounds the virus particle. And causes it to like f-
2: literally fall apart. Oh, that makes sense to me. That makes sense to me because I mean, that's kind of one of the principles of handwashing, is that I mean, yeah. that plus soap, water rips up rips open the membranes. So I wonder if it's getting like it's a little bit like a pre-wash, a pre-hand wash. Yeah.
7: <laughs> Should we keep going? Yes. Quick duet.
2: Sure. On the, On the seventh day of, day of Christmas, Christmas, COVID, COVID gave, gave to me, me. Sarah. Fifteen minutes of close contact.
8: She Two
2: minutes over twenty-four
7: hours. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what does that mean? Um, so, throughout the pandemic, the CDC was saying to contact tracers, you should consider someone a close contact when they've been within six feet of someone who is infected for fifteen minutes consecutively. I see. But they've changed it to, as long as it adds up to 15 minutes cumulatively over 24 hours— then you're considered a close contact. And and the reason that they changed it is kind of interesting. It's basically based on one person getting COVID. Are you there? I am. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hi, this is Sarah from Radio Lab. It's so nice to meet you. I'm a big fan of the
2: show. This is not the person you're talking about.
7: <laughs> no, this is um, Julia. Julia Pringle,
4: and I'm an epidemiologist.
7: So, Julia told me that Vermont last summer, there was a group of inmates out of Vermont prison that tested positive for COVID. So, that's
4: when my team at the health department got involved.
7: And it was her Uh, job to track down anybody that they might have infected at the prison. Review
4: Video surveillance footage, talk to staff. And it turned out there
7: was this one correctional officer that appeared to have gotten COVID around the same time as the inmates. But this person didn't appear to have had close contact with them, according to the CDC definition.
4: Didn't have 15 minutes within six feet. In a row. And this was
7: confusing because that was the rule. Fifteen consecutive minutes of contact means that you are at risk. Correct. And so what they do is they go back to the surveillance footage. And
4: one thing we kept
7: noticing was this correctional officer, over the course of their shift, there were multiple brief encounters. There'd be a couple of minutes where they'd bring food to the inmates or they'd see somewhere else in the tape, like a few minutes spent giving the inmates their medication. And, and mm-hmm. Julia said that when they added up all these little encounters... Collectively, they approximated about 15 minutes of exposure. Whoa. And so they published a paper about this. And based on that one paper and that one correctional officer the CDC ended up changing their contact tracing definition for the entire country.
2: Wow. Okay. Okay. So
7: that's, those are just more numbers. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think that's it. I think those are all the numbers I have. Um, Okay. But I, I guess there's just one last thing that I want to tell you about, you know, like we were saying before, these numbers obviously can be super helpful in certain ways. However, they are also extremely paralyzing and could potentially be really debilitating.
2: Mm, yeah, yeah. And
7: so so one person I talked to, this guy named Martin Bazant at MIT, who's like a professor in the engineering department, I believe, he actually made like an online calculator, essentially, um, which I thought was really cool. I talked to him about it. And and it's this, basically, yeah, this, this website you can go to um, where... A lot of these f- factors that we've talked about, you can plug in different variables for like whatever room you expect to find yourself in. Um, plug in the humidity levels, plug in, will oh. you be wearing a mask or not? Will What kind of mask are you going to be wearing? You know, ventilation, are you going to be talking? Are you going to be exercising? You know, how big is the room? You can plug all of that in and it'll give you a recommendation. And so it'll tell you then how many people can safely be in that room for how long? So so for example, I was like on in in the interview with him and I plugged in, let's say you're in the average classroom, um, okay. and everyone is sitting and wearing masks and talking. Okay. And and it 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 spits out this number that is basically like, okay, fifty people can be safely be in this room for seven hours. Which is like a very surprising finding, right? A surprising Wait, is that a real
2: number that you just said? Yeah, yeah, that's
7: a real number, yeah.
2: Oh, shoot. That's very heartening to hear.
7: Right, so, and it's sort of this, you know, he finds himself in this interesting spot where on the one hand, he's like, you know, receiving backlash because it's like, okay, you're enabling people to then, you know, go do stuff and like maybe be unsafe. But his whole argument is like, Well, you know, like, I don't know. If there's a way to navigate all of these variables, um, you know, and and to move beyond just the, like, don't see anyone indoors ever, you know? Like, if there's Mm -hmm. a way to, like, account for all of these different factors in a way that makes us safer in a way that helps us keep classrooms open in a way that helps us you know keep other facets of our lives going then like why wouldn't you want to do that and so he was telling me he's like heard from people like people emailing him that have used the online tool and um have been like I was able to keep my dance studio open because I like plugged in the numbers and like it seemed to make sense and so I had this many people in and we were really safe and um Yeah.
2: Wow, that's, that's cool.
7: Pretty neat, right?
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's like, that's, uh, I mean, you know what I find myself wondering about? Which, I don't know if it's a helpful argument I'm having Mm. in my head. But, uh, I mean, I just, I I find that way of thinking very liberating. Because it, I mean, what we all have to do right now is, we kind of have to be poker players. We have to sort of mm-hmm. understand the odds and the risks involved and make decisions in the face of those risks, which is what a poker player does. They make mm-hmm. a bet when they don't know what's going to happen. But they they can't not bet, right? So we, we have to sort of do that ourselves in the way we, we behave and the, where we choose to go and whether we choose to put our kids in school and all those things. Right. They're all kind of bets. And And, it's um, sort
7: of like, it's sort of like right now we're all playing poker with like a really poor understanding of how probability works, right? Yes. And like, and like the question is, do we educate ourselves on probability and then perhaps maybe become riskier poker players? (laughs) Or or do we just keep playing with like our really crude understanding, you know?
2: Right. And then there's a sort of a public messaging layer on top of that, which is, can we afford nuance right now? Yes. Maybe we just need to say to people, wear a mask and stay indoors and don't see anybody. Yeah. And go slightly crazy and ha- and, and and have some serious mental health uh blowback, but you'll be safe that way. I mean, we mm. we could say that to people, mm-hmm. which I think is probably more effective, but it also creates this whole like politicization thing which we won't, we won't even get into. Mm-hmm. But uh I, yeah, I, I like the online tool. I suddenly want it to be like a little drone that's flying mm. over my head. And it just watches me as I walk in and out of spaces and then it gives me <laughs> it gives me like a risk rating for every... This, like year.
7: magic device that we're slowly creating <laughs> <laughs> through all these numbers.
2: That is a killer gift yeah. right there. <laughs> well, uh, thank you, Sarakari.
7: You're welcome. And I should say thank you to uh, yeah, God,
4: so
7: my carolers. Yeah. Sue Nelson, Elizabeth and Sandy Leprell, and Noah and Brian Dolphin.
8: On the twelfth day of Christmas, the COVID
5: gave to me the long-awaited Pfizer no father, vaccine. Father, Yay! One, One big plastic face you make me try, whispering or
2: just not sing. All right, well, uh, I guess, I guess this, is, this is us trying to slip out the door, slip out of the year. Yep. Yeah. Oh, Special thanks to Akiko Iwasaki, Martin Bazant,
3: Julia Pringle, Lindsay Marr, Shelly Miller, William Ristenpart, Bill Nye, USA Today, the Fraternal Order of Real Bearded Santas, and the International Brotherhood of Real Bearded Santas. I'm Jad Abumrad. I'm of Nasser. Hope you have happy, healthy, emphasis on the healthy yeah. uh, holidays and New Year. And um, yeah, we'll check you on the other side. Thanks for listening.
2: This is Damon calling from Hobart, Tasmania. Radio Lab was created by Jad Abumrad and is edited by Soren Wheeler. Lulu Miller and Latif Nasser are our co-hosts. Dylan Keith is our director of sound design. Susie Lechtenberg is our executive producer. Our staff includes Simon Adler, Jeremy Bloom, Becca Bresler, Rachel Cusack, David Gable, Matt Kilty, Tobin Lowe, Annie McEwen, Sarah Curry, Ariane Wack, Pat Walters, and Molly Webster. With help from Shima Oliai, Sarah Sandback, and Johnny Mowens. Our fact checker is Michelle Harris.